listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. And unless we have someone who we trust, unless we have someone we trust who can point those things out to us and speak, lovingly speak to our blind spots, they go unnoticed and unaddressed. Now, one of the things that I appreciate about following Jesus is that he loves me just the way I am, but he refuses to leave me that way. Right? He's always, I don't, I don't, he's always pointing out areas in my life that I'm blind to that are harming and harming others. And it never feels condemning. It's always saturated in grace because he has my best interest at heart when he does that. Remember, it was Jesus who, who said this, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. So when he, I know this about him, that when he speaks to um, those areas of my life that I'm blind to, and he kind of exposes them to me, it's always based out of his love for me and concern for me and care for me. And I think that that's a really good posture for us to take as his followers. That when we attempt to speak in other people's lives, we too need to take that same posture that, that when, we, when we attempt to speak into people's lives, it, it's in the context of love. And one thing, regrettably, that Christians are notorious for is pointing the finger and condemning people um, and point to trying to point out their blind spots. But let me ask you this. Who are you more apt to receive advice from? Somebody who is accusatory and condemning or somebody who speaks truth in love? in the context of love, right? So we need to take Jesus' cue here. And today we're going to look at a story from the book of Acts about a man named Saul who was blind to his own condition. He was so consumed by his rage and he was so consumed by his religious pride that he completely lost himself. And that is until Jesus kind of intercepts him on a road road to Damascus, and he intercepts this man, Saul, and he lovingly speaks to his blindness. And we're first introduced to Saul in Acts chapter 7. We've been walking through the book of Acts. Today we're in chapter 9. But we first read of Saul in Acts chapter 7, and we learn in Acts chapter 7 that this man, Saul, was present at the stoning and execution of a man named Stephen. And chapter 8 of Acts tells us that Saul approved of Stephen's murder. So folks, when you are pleased about watching someone be stoned to death in public, you have some issues that you're blind to. <laughs> if, if watching somebody be executed pleases you, and, and, and you're not aware of what's going on, you're blind to it. There's some issues there. And by the time we get to chapter 9... Of Acts, we learn that not only was Saul pleased about Stephen's execution, but violence and vitriol had become the very air that he breathed. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. 
so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. If you guys ever come across someone who is so consumed with something that it becomes their sole purpose for existence, it's the only thing they ever talk about. They're, they're almost obsessed with it. All they, all they care about is wrapped up in it. They live, eat, sleep, and breathe it. Well, this is what hap- this happened to Saul here. He's so consumed by his self-righteousness and his view of what is right and what is wrong that the only thing he cares about at this point in chapter 9 is persecuting those who are following in the way of Jesus. He's just bent on it. That's what he's made his life about. It says he's breathing out murderous threats against them. It's become everything to him. But he's also blind to many things in his life. And that's about to change here in Acts chapter 9 because Saul is about to experience the, the ultimate April Fool's joke. In Acts chapter 9, verse 3, we read this. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. And so Saul is traveling to Damascus. Remember, he's bent on just persecuting and arresting people who are Christ followers. And on his way there, a light flashes from heaven all around him and blinds him and it knocks him to the ground. And then he hears a voice and this voice has a question for him. And the question is this, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In other words, the question's trying to get at something. It's not because Jesus didn't know the answer. See, when God asks us questions, it's not because he doesn't know, it's because he wants us to know, right? And he asks him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What is going on with you? What is going on inside of you that's causing you to act this way? And of course, Saul can't answer that question because he doesn't know. He's blind to it. And so what Saul does is he deflects the question with another question. He says, who are you, Lord? And then he hears the reply, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Now, we know that Saul wasn't persecuting Jesus. Because Jesus had already went to the cross and had been resurrected and had gone to heaven. Saul wasn't persecuting Jesus directly. He was persecuting the church. And yet, Jesus tells him, no, Saul, you're persecuting me. You're persecuting me. Have you guys ever witnessed a loved one being bullied or harmed before? When I was a young teenager, I think I was 13, maybe 14. We lived at a house that was just a few houses down from our town high school. And my little brother Trevor, who would have been about around five years old at the time, was out in our front yard playing and some high school kids walked by and said something to him. And he came in the house just sobbing, hysterically. And I said, what's, what's the matter, Trevor? And he said, that guy told me. You know how when you're really crying and scared you can't breathe and you're hyperventilating? And he goes, he told me, he 
going to beat me up if he sees me outside again. Oh, man, was I enraged. So I jumped on my chrome, huffy BMX bike. <laughs> and I tore down the road, and I knew who this kid was. His name was Doug. And he was a couple years older than me and a whole lot bigger than me. And he lived about eight houses down the street. And I got on my chrome huffy bike and I was pedaling with a fury. And I saw him as he was getting into his driveway. And, and I'd never done this before on my BMX bike, but it was so cool. I can't wait to re-see the video in heaven. But I was, I, I, I was really going fast. And I dismounted it by throwing the bike out and jumping off of it. It looked so cool. It looked so intimidating. So intimidating. And the bike went like this and smashed it to the ground. I had my fist clenched. I walked up to Doug. I said, you like picking on little kids? I said, how about you pick on someone your own size? And, and he kind of looked at his buddy and they looked at me and he smiled and kind of chuckled because I'm only half his size. <laughs> that line didn't um, have the effect that it had in my head when I said it. But he, he turned around and walked into his house. And, I, and I, I was, my heart was pounding, and I got back on my bike, and I was riding home, and I had two thoughts. One, that wasn't a very Christian for me to do, to try to go start a fight. Uh, and two, I'm glad he didn't fight me, because he would have killed me. <laughs> Those were my two thoughts. But the, re and it, but the reason I did that is because when somebody messes with someone you love, it almost feels like they're messing with you, right? Yep. It almost feels like they're messing with you, and... Remember, it was Jesus and Matthew who said this, whatever you do to the least of these, you're doing it to me. And so here he shows up to Saul, and Saul is, you know, he's bent on just like ridding society of these Christians. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Because if you're doing it to them, you're doing it to me. But he's blind to it. He doesn't see it. He doesn't see it. And so when the conversation between Jesus and Saul ends, Saul stands up and he recognizes that he's completely blind. He can't see anything. And his friends, it says, lead him by the hand into Damascus, where for three days he's, he remains blind and he doesn't drink anything, he doesn't eat anything. And what we discover is this, that in the time of these three days where Saul is blind, God uses his physical blindness to reveal his spiritual blindness. That by Saul losing his sense of sight, he's able for the first time to see his life in a new light. Isn't it funny that our darkest times somehow usually end up being our most enlightening moments? <laughs> that when we're in a place of darkness and, and we're just kind of lost and we can't figure it out, that, that it's often those times that become our most enlightening moments. But, my son Joshua, when he was an infant, uh, he had these terrible seizures. And he was having multiple seizures a day, and we couldn't find a medicine. <clears throat> we couldn't find a medicine that would stop these seizures. And, and uh, with his seizure disorder, he doesn't pull out of his seizures on his own. We have to always carry a diastat with us even to this day. Um, although we have the seizures under control somewhat now, we have to bring this diastat with us because it's the only thing that pulls him out of the seizures. And so he's gone 20 minutes plus sometimes just having a seizure, and that can be extremely dangerous and even life-threatening. And when he was an infant, um, we didn't have the right medicine. We were trying to find out what was, what was going on with him. And he was having all of these seizures. 
And it was really hard for my wife and I to sleep at night because we put him in his crib and, and we, we were just racked with fear that he's going to have a seizure while we fall asleep and we're not going to be awake and see it and he, he's going to die. And so we had the hardest time sleeping for nights and nights on end. And finally it got to the point where it was kind of a breaking point for us. We're like, we can't do this. And I remember we were laying down in bed and we were holding hands and we just said a prayer and we just released him to God. I remember praying something like this, that God, you gave us to him. He's yours. He's never, he was never ours. He's yours. You just let us take care of him and let us love him. And so we just release him back to you. And I remember after we prayed that, there was just this huge shift that happened in my heart. And I realized something that I was blind to previous to that moment, and it was this that I hadn't yet fully released and entrusted my family to God. I thought I had. I'm a pastor. I do all the spiritual things, right? <laughs> at, least I, at least I tell myself that. And I thought I had completely entrusted my family to God, but it wasn't until that dark moment when I realized that I was blind to the fact that I hadn't fully entrusted my family to God. See, sometimes we have to lose our sense of stability in order to see all the other unstable areas of our lives that we're blind to. Sometimes we have to go into the darkness and to see all of the other areas in our life, unstable areas that we're blind to. I'm not sure I, I ever would have recognized that I wasn't entrusting my family to God apart from that dark time. So what if our darkest times are opportunities for God to reveal our blind spots to us? What if, what if the dark moments of our lives that God actually uses show us some of the other things in our life that we're blind to, that we're not able to see. See, what, what we read in the story is Saul is, is physically blind. He's laying there for three days, and, he's, and, and for the first time, he's seeing his life with clarities. For the first time, he's seeing like his spiritual blindness. And so God is using his physical blindness to reveal his spiritual blindness. Well, sometimes God sends people to help us navigate through our dark times. <clears throat> and in Saul's case, it's a man by the name of Ananias. And in verse 10 of chapter 9, we read how God invites Ananias into Saul's story through a vision. Ananias is in Damascus, and he has a vision. Uh, and in the vision, God tells him, go to this house on Straight Street and ask for a man named Saul. He's been praying. In fact, I gave, in fact, the, Saul had a vision of his own that a man named Ananias would come to his house and would lay hands on him and pray for his sight to be restored. And Ananias is, is quite reluctant at first because he's heard about Saul. He knows that Saul is bent on one thing, just like destroying Christians, persecuting them, arresting them. And he knows why Saul came to Damascus. So he's reluctant. He's not too keen on being arrested. He's apprehensive, but he obeys. He goes. In verse 17, it says this. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, 
the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Now, I want us to notice here just for a brief moment. Notice how Ananias starts this conversation. He starts by calling Saul his brother. And we shouldn't overlook that. See, in, instead of viewing Saul as an enemy, instead of viewing Saul as a friend, he recognizes that God has brought the two of them together. Saul's out to wreck people like Ananias. And yet the first word out of Ananias' mouth is, Brother Saul. He says, the same Jesus who you met on the road sent me. Come pray that your vision would be restored. And when Ananias called Saul brother, what he's essentially doing is he's agreeing with Jesus. He's agreeing with Jesus and he's putting aside his assumptions and judgments of who Saul was. Because Jesus had brought them together. Jesus was using Ananias right, to speak to Saul's blindness. And immediately it says something like scales fell from his eyes and he could see again. And here's what I find remarkable about this part of the story. Is that Jesus could have healed Saul's eyes without Ananias. Right? He could have easily healed his eyes without Ananias. So why didn't he? It seems overly complicated. Like Saul's waiting here for three days and God's giving Ananias a vision. He's saying, go to this street, to this address. There's this guy named Saul. He's been praying Go, go tell him these words. And, and oh, by the way, I, I, I went to Saul and I gave him a vision of you and you're going to come over and lay hands. It just seems really complicated. So why did he do it? Well, we might not like this very much, but, but God loves to use other people in his redemptive process. And that can be pretty humbling for us at times. Can it? Especially... Especially when the people he's using are people we don't like. See, Saul, Saul hated people like Ananias, pure and simple. He was going to Damascus to like rid society of these people. He said, if we could just purge society of people who are following in the way of Jesus, the world would be a whole lot better. And yet, God invites Ananias into Saul's story. Isn't it just like Jesus? to invite Ananias into Saul's story and to use Ananias in a significant way as part of Saul's healing and restoration. See, what we discover later on in the book of Acts is this, that this man, Saul, actually becomes none other than the Apostle Paul. Think about this. All of the churches that Paul planted all over the world never get started without this moment. Much of the New Testament never gets written without this moment. It's mind-blowing to me. The turning point in the Apostle Paul's life was when someone prayed for him who he couldn't stand. He's trying to just get rid of folks like Ananias. 
the turning point in his life was when Ananias prayed for him. And through Ananias' prayer, Saul, the angry, persecuting Pharisee, becomes Paul, the powerful, apostolic preacher. And from this point on, Saul never sees things the same way again. The whole trajectory of his life changes. And I would argue that human history changes. All because of two things. One, because he listened when Jesus spoke to his blindness. And two, he allowed Ananias to be a part of that process. And so I want to close my sermon this morning with a question. <coughs> what if the transformation that you've been waiting for and praying for hinges on those same two things? What if the transformation in your life that you've been believing for and waiting for and praying for hinges on those same two things? Listening to Jesus when he speaks to your blindness, when he speaks to your blind spots. And number two, allowing those who you've judged as a nuisance to play a significant role in your life. See, I believe that Jesus wants to do the same things for us that he did for the Apostle Paul. And I see, I see Jesus doing three things for the Apostle Paul in this text. Number one, Jesus reveals himself for who he really is. Saul didn't know who Jesus was. He didn't know that he was persecuting the church. He was persecuting Jesus. And I'm convinced that Jesus is the most magnetic, compelling being in the universe. That the reason that we don't follow him well is just this. We don't see him for who he really is. If we saw him for who he really is, then we would follow him better, right? And so Jesus revealed himself to Paul in, in such a way that Paul caught a glimpse of who he really is. And it changed his life. One of the reasons our church mission statement is reintroducing Jesus is because we believe that we have to constantly be reintroducing ourselves to Jesus. We have to, we have to get a revelation of who he is. The second thing that Jesus did here for Saul is... He lovingly confronted his spiritual blindness. See, Jesus loves us the way that we are, but he doesn't leave us that way. He has our very best interest at heart, and when he points things out in our lives, it's, it's always for our good. He didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us. So he lovingly confronts Saul's spiritual blindness. And the third thing is he brought other people into the redemptive process. He could have healed Paul's eyes, I'm sure of it, really easy. But he doesn't. He invites Ananias in. And we don't like it very much, but, but God really does love to use other people to bring healing and restoration in our lives. Uh, even people we don't like. Even imperfect people, right? We're okay with, with people we like. <laughs> people who, you know, we, we respect and admire. Yeah, I love bringing them into my life. But what about people we don't like? What about people that we view as just kind of like imperfect people? And yet God brings them into our lives to bring healing, restoration, to, to help us get our vision, help us see those blind spots in our lives that are leading us in the, in the wrong direction. Why does God do that? Well, I think it's because he has a good sense of humor. 
he knows us. He's like, yeah, that, that person over there irritates him. I'm going to use them to kind of bring some healing over there. I think God loves it when uh, Easter falls in April. <laughs> Let me ask one last question before we close this morning. Is the road you're traveling on leading you into the future that God has for you? Think about that for a minute. Is the road you're traveling on leading you into the future that God has for you? Because I'll guarantee you this. If it's not, or if you have doubts about that, expect Jesus to intercept you on that road. Because he loves you way too much to leave you there. He shows up to Saul. He's on to Damascus, man. He's bent on just like wreaking havoc. And Jesus says, no, I love you too much. And I love the world too much. I'm going to intervene. And I'm going to stop you right here. He does that for us too. So if you're if you're on a road where it's leading you to someplace else other than the future God has for you, expect Jesus to intersect you. And the question you have to be ready to answer is this: Will I listen to Him when He speaks to my blindness? We're not good at listening to people when they point out our blind spots, right? It's never easy, even when the person is doing it in love. Have you ever had someone loving come to you and say, yeah, I know this lately, you've been really short and your, your temper is gone. And you're like, oh, yeah, but what are you talking about? <laughs> and that's when somebody loves you, right? But it still stings a little bit. And it takes some time to sit back and say, like, oh, you know what? Maybe, maybe they have something. We don't like it when people, will you be ready when Jesus does that to you? Because he will. Because he loves you too much to leave you <laughs> in your blindness. And here's the other question you've got to be ready to answer. Will you have enough humility to allow other people into that process? Oh, you're thinking, Adam, I was good with the first bit, but the second bit? Who are we talking about here? I don't know. God picks that. So what I want to do this morning is to say a prayer for all of us, myself included. And... Um, and then Luann's going to come up. She's been painting during the service, and she's going to show us a little bit of what she's been working on through the service. And then we'll sing one last worship song together. And um, we'll have our potluck. Does that sound good? Can I pray for us? Yeah. Lord, I pray for myself and for all my friends here. On behalf of them. And Lord, I just want to confess that I don't like it when people point out my blind spot. And I don't like it so much when you do either. But I, I know this, and I trust this, that, that until we see those things, they keep running in the background of our lives, wreaking all kinds of havoc, leading us down the wrong roads. So God, I pray first and foremost that you would just give us the courage and to have ears that listen. To have a heart that's soft. So that when you intercept us on the road and you lovingly speak to the lyrics, God, we will listen. Lord, I, I pray a threefold prayer for myself and my friends. One, that you would reveal who you really are to us. Number two, that 
you would lovingly speak to those blind spots in our lives that we've been refusing to recognize and look at. And they've been eating away at us and, and just leading us down this destructive path. And Lord, we, we give you permission. We invite you to speak to those. God, give us ears to listen. And thirdly, God, uh, bring us enough humility in our lives that we would be able to receive and embrace those who you bring into our life to be a part of that process. Lord, would you do that for us? We know that, that you did it with Paul. And we know that your heart for us is, is of unconditional committed love. So Lord, we align ourselves with that and we ask you to intercept us this morning. We'll do our best to listen. We'll do our best to humble ourselves. We'll do our best to receive what it is that you have to say and respond to it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community. 